So a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Acts, as we are going to be for quite a while, I guess, and we were looking at the Acts chapter 3. And we were looking at a phrase that I think everybody knows is a phrase called carpe diem. Remember that? It means to seize the day. The idea is to enjoy what you can in life while you can. But we also got creative when we found another phrase called carpe potestatum, which means to seize the opportunity. And that's exactly what two disciples did, Peter and John seized the opportunity to do good while they could. All they were doing was going to the temple to pray at three in the afternoon, and there was a guy there who had not been able to walk his whole life. He never skipped, he never jumped, he never ran in a race. All he could do was just sit there because his legs didn't work, and he was begging for people for money, and Peter looked at him and says, hey, you know what, buddy? I, my pockets are empty here. You know, I don't have any money, but what I have, I give to you. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And obviously, Obviously, this is going to create quite a commotion. A lot of people came running to this situation to say, what is going on? Here's this guy who previously couldn't walk, and now he's running around all excited. And Peter chose carpe potestatum. He chose to take the opportunity to tell all these people about Jesus. And a lot of good came from that. Last week, we saw that not all good came from it, though. Uh, there was these guys who tried to put them in jail, and Peter did not let them that stop them. He chose coram deo, which means to live their entire life in the presence of God, as if God is really watching, under the authority of God. And when he, choose, he was telling the, the people who were trying to shut him up, you guys decide. Am I supposed to listen to you or to God, knowing that God was the right answer? And he says, we're all we're doing this to the glory of God. This miracle that Peter did was not to bring themselves glory, but they pointed it all to Jesus. And today we're going to conclude this event uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, where Peter and John have they've taken this, they've taken this beating or this this verbal uh threat from these guys and said, hey, shut up and don't say this anymore. And they said, we're going to do this anyway. And then they go and leave and they start to talk to the people about what happened. Acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 24 is where we're going to start out. It says, On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported to all the chief priests and the elders what the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Let's do that now. Let's pray to God and ask for his blessing on this message. Thank you, God, that you are good. Thank you, God, that we can come together as a church in safety and, and pray to you and ask for you to give me your words to say, God, so that I'm, I'm saying truth and clarity of speech and, and we're hearing what you want us to hear. And I just pray for that, for this message, that it wouldn't be anything that I have to say, but it would be everything that you want to say through me that we hear today. I just pray for your blessing on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so a few weeks back, we, were, we started the book of Acts, like I said, and we spent like five weeks looking at the five practices of the early church. You guys remember that? There was five different things. We made them all start with P. The first thing we did was they, uh, they paid attention to the preaching of the word. Constantly, these people were coming together to the temple air courts to hear the message that the disciples had to share with them. 
Then we find that they were uh, participating in the church body. They were fellowshipping together. And the idea there was that they had to give something of themselves in order to, to really fellowship. Uh, I gave the illustration of what happened that Sunday after church. Uh, Marcy and Leslie and I sat in the foyer in the back, and we, we did that. We, we shared our hopes. We shared good things. We shared bad things. We prayed together. But it was this idea of giving of yourself to benefit somebody else. Then we, we looked at prayer. We, they prayed corporately and they prayed constantly for God to work in them and through them because they knew they could not do it on their own. And we looked at, they partook of the, the Lord's Supper together and they also passed it along to other believers. And what we find throughout the book of Acts is everything that they were supposed to practice at the beginning of this book was not just something that was just for a short season of time. As we go through this book, we can start to recognize they're putting all these things into practice. Even Peter and John passing it along to unbelievers. That's what they did when they healed this guy. That's what they did to the people who were trying to shut them up. They're passing along this message of Jesus. And today we see them joining together corporately in prayer, asking God to do something. And it was something that they were going to continue throughout the book of Acts. So what, do, what are they doing first is they are praising God together. They're, they're praying to God for, uh, for his sovereignty. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And as we continue, if we... Um, they're, they're praising God for his sovereignty in creation to start with. Let me read a few more verses here. Acts chapter 4. Uh, verses, uh, the rest of 24 says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Everything that was in creation, they knew. They started at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that was functioning, everything that was there, they were praising God for Everything in creation, God was in control of. He he. It only worked because he made it work. It was only allowed because he allowed it to take place. Sovereignty means the one who has complete control over everything, whether good or bad. And God has a complete control over creation itself. But God didn't just speak creation and say, hey, you know what? I'm bored. I want to just see how you guys handle all this. I gave this great big beautiful earth and here's some animals and here's some water. I want to see what you guys do with it. You know, I, I bring up YouTube from time to time and how fun it is to watch people to do stupid things. And they, they just do the craziest things. And there's you see these beautiful pictures of these sea creatures and you see mountains that you can't ever get to. God didn't just say, hey, I'm just going to sit here and watch for a couple thousand years and see how you guys handle this. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that everything is held together by God. He is in complete control. And Psalms chapter uh, chapter 135 says God keeps it going. Everything, every time there's lightning, every time there's thunder, anytime there's anything happening, it's only happening because God is in control of what is going on. God is in control of what uh, of what he created, but God's in control also of what he says in Scripture, verses 25 to 26. Uh, this is Peter speaking. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You know, there's a lot of things going on around our world today. 
all sorts of countries and all sorts of people revolting against governments and people who are trying to put themselves in a place of authority. They're trying to shut down churches and they're trying to stop what's right. And we look at that and it's hard to feel like God is really in control. But even here it says, what, what, are these, what do you guys think you're doing? What, do you, what makes you think you're going to succeed? Um, this is taken directly from Psalms chapter 2. We looked at this earlier uh, before uh, the start of the new year. So we can start Acts at the start of the new year. And it says, why did the nations rage? Anybody ever find yourself in a situation like that? I've never done that. I stay away from those big four-footed animals. I have no control whatsoever. They're, they're, they're rearing up on their back feet. I'm, I'm leaving, right? I don't want anything to do with that. But this, this is a picture of what it is for the nations to rage. It's use of a neighing or a spirited horse that may trample and toss her head. But in the end, that guy with the rope, he wins, right? He finally gets that horse broke and brought into submission. And that's what it is uh, when he's quoting this in, from Psalms. What are the nations? do this. They're busting around. They're trying to get what they want to happen. And they're trying just as hard as they can. And this is a picture of the, the people trying to take out Jesus. They're, they're going to do whatever they can within their power to do that. And he says they're plotting in vain. These plans that these, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law are trying to do to get rid of Jesus, they are not going to succeed. These, these Nations take their stand against the Lord. They're standing against Him. They're the horse that's trying to get away from, from the Master. But in the end, it's, they're going to be brought into submission. All four Gospels talk about this, about the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are plotting to arrest Jesus. And, and from all accounts, it looks like they succeeded, right? Because when Jesus was put up on the cross, Jesus breathed His last, and Jesus died. He was stuck in the tomb. Guess how many people went that morning expecting to see Jesus come out of the tomb? Not one person went there. From all accounts, looking at it from that point, Jesus is dead. The Jesus' whole goal is done. But we know three days later, Jesus rose again. The people plotted in vain. They schemed in vain. They tried to stop Jesus in vain. And God inspired those words. And he's in control of how they are going to be fulfilled. And there was not a single man who could do anything about it. And just like this wild stallion that's neighing, this bucking that wants to be free, was brought into submission, mankind is ultimately going to be brought into submission before God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 tells us that one day every knee is going to bow. That the, the meanest guy that you can think of that has no respect for anybody, the leader of some country that can care less about people, is going to be the guy who's down on his knees. His mouth is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. At that point, it's going to be too late for salvation, but he's going to be brought into submission. And God is in control of that. He's in control of what he did. He's in control of what scripture says, how it's going to be played out. You think about what's coming in the future with the tribulation and with the end time stuff. That's, God is in control of all that. There's nothing that man can say that's going to stop that or thwart that or change that in any sort of way. But God is also in control of what he allows. 
Uh, verse 27 and 28. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city, conspired against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They're trying, they're scheming, they're trying to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to stop him. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God had already determined from before creation every step that was going to take place to get Jesus up on that cross. So when Jesus was getting betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, God knew that. God worked all that out so that it would take place because somebody had to betray Jesus in order for Jesus to be, to be crucified. When Jesus is on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was already predetermined. When Jesus was crucified, when he was put up on that cross to hang, to pay for my sins, that was pre-planned by God. He allowed it for me. Really, there's nothing holding Jesus on that cross except for Jesus himself. That, that, that nail that's there is going, doing absolutely nothing except for holding a man up there. But Jesus could easily take care of that. Jesus could call 10,000 angels if he wanted to, to get himself off of that cross. But the people who don't know that, where they hear, yep, Jesus died, and they, they don't have the hope of salvation, they're thinking, that's it. Jesus is done. But ultimately, all that only happened because God is in control. And right after Peter and John are released from prison, the first thing that they do is they join together and pray. That's what they're doing. They, they get together with all the brothers and sisters, with the other disciples, and they take the time to pray. You know, and that's what we should be doing. When we go to jail, you know, not really, but when, when life falls apart, we're facing tough times, the first thing that we should do is get together with somebody and we should pray right after we go through that tough time. Because God ultimately is in control. And we can praise Him for that. Even through the bad times of what we just went through, we can say, God, I know that you are in control. You have a purpose. You have a plan. Obviously not what we're, we want to do, right? I don't want to start thanking God for the tough time I went through and thinking, oh yeah, you've got a, a plan for this. But that's what the disciples did. When God allows it to rain, on the righteous and the unrighteous. He is in control. If we never get another drop of rain, which is like unthinkable, unthinkable right? It would be horrendous for our nation or for our area to never, never get another drop of rain. We know ultimately that God is in control. Every moment in time, everything from the past to everything in the future, God is in control of everything he does. Creation, when there's, when there's floods wiping out cities, when there's earthquakes, when there's volcanoes, when there's war, when there's everything that's going on that we, you don't want to know about because it's not happening here in Plevna, and we praise God for this little garden spot of the world, God is in control of all that, of everything that's going on. He's allowing it for a reason, but it, doesn't, it only happens because He allows it. The Bible says God tells the waves, you can come this far, and that's it. You're not going to go one drop farther than that which God allows. God is in control of everything He does. He's in control of everything that He allows, and He works through it. In Matthew 10, it talks about uh, sparrows. They don't die. They don't fall to the ground apart from the will of our Father in heaven. Two little birds that just flop around that make noise possibly, that eat bugs. God cares about them, and He has control over those kinds of situations. 
I'll get a little more personal. My mom. You know, this last week she fell down the stairs and she broke her wrist in three different places. I don't know whatever pins and junk like that they stuck in there. And I want to say, God, why? Why my mom? You know, I love my mom. She's 62 and a half. She's not really that healthy. Why not my sister? No offense to my sister, but she's young. She's like 28. It's her dog, right? She could fall down the stairs and be just fine. Why not that situation? But God says, you know what? I'm in control of this, Josh. I have a purpose for why I'm allowing this. I may never know what it is, but I can just say, okay, God, thank you that you're in control of this. I think about Mally. I think about other little kids in that kind of situation. What in the world are you thinking, God? Why are you doing this? Why is my life going like this right now? Why don't we get to keep her? You know, I look at this, this picture and I say, the best thing for her is us. The best thing for us is her. The best thing for our, her is this church. And I ask God, why? But I, I can ask him why, but I still got to settle on the fact that, thank you, God, that he's in control. I've talked with Bud Fuchs since, the, uh, since he was here, and he talked about being a missionary and having people come to him from other countries that he couldn't get to, uh, to share the gospel with them, and they can take it back. Maybe that's what God's going to do with Mally. She came to us. We all loved her. We all like poured the gospel into her. And she can take that back to some place where I'm never going to be able to go. I don't know. All I can do is say, okay, God, I got a lot of questions here. But thank you that you are in control of what you are doing. So together, the disciples, they praise God for his sovereignty. For all the control that God had, even when they went through what they went through. But they also praise God, or they also pray to God for help. Uh, verses 29 to 30. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant, Jesus. Now think about what the disciples just went through. They were just on their way to the temple. They're just going to pray. They're just going to help this guy. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in jail overnight. And then they get brought before the people who have the power to sentence them to death. And, you know, that would be very scary, right? That would be very intimidating uh, for these people. That these people are trying to shut them up and trying to keep them from doing anything. And what do they do? They don't turn around and like say, hey, let's get secret about this. How do we avoid all of this? They say, hey, let's pray and let's ask God for boldness, to have the confidence, to have the courage, to have the fearlessness, to speak openly and frankly about Jesus. Not the normal response. And they say, hey, God, we want to know what is it that you want us to say? Because we got to say it's, we got to say something. And God, we want to have the ability to say it. And that, that takes great courage, that takes great boldness to get back into the fight and to keep going. But they also prayed for the ability to act. And they prayed that God would work. They said, uh, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They said, hey, we were able to do this. Peter was able to heal this guy who had never been able to walk. We want to do it again. There are more people out there who need a miracle. There are more people out there who need to see the the, the power of Jesus' name in everyday real life. And they said, God, that's what we want. We want to be more bold for you. We want to be more active for you and, and sharing the name of Jesus. They prayed for God to do something together because they knew they needed God to do something through them. That was the key. 
You know, when we, when we face these kinds of situations where someone's trying to shut you up about Jesus, they're trying to keep you from doing something in Jesus' name, we need to do the same thing. We need to join together in prayer. They prayed, right? The first thing that they did is they prayed for boldness. How many people, when someone's trying to shut you up or, or threaten you, want to pray for boldness to go back out there and keep doing it? You know what we want to pray for? We want to pray for protection, right? God, let me go out there and don't let them be there. Let me, let me find some other place to go. I don't want that kind of confrontation. I don't want to talk to those people again. Please, God, just keep us safe. But they said, we're going to pray for boldness to get back out there. They want, they're praying for knowledge. Help us to know what to say. We want, we gotta, we've got to get the name of Jesus out there. What do we want to pray for? Relocation, right? Give me someplace else to go, God. I do not want to go back to that school. I don't want to go back to that park. I don't want to go back to the wherever it is that there's people who are going to confront me and not like the name of Jesus. They prayed for courage. Give us boldness. Give us the ability to keep speaking and keep doing anyway. The typical response that we have is we want justice. God, give those people what they deserve. You know, let, let, let the good guys, let the cops show up, let them stop them, whatever it takes. But God, make it right, because this isn't right. It's not fair. Please just, just stop it. But they said, hey, let us give us whatever we need to keep going. And they prayed for help. They weren't praying for God to rescue them from the situation. They're praying that God would help them to have the ability to do it, to have the words to say, to, have the, to know how to, to do whatever it is that God needed them to do. Because they knew that on their own, they're just average, ordinary people. They're just fishermen, right? I can go out there and I can catch this fish. I can throw out this net and I can do it at the right spot, the right time of day. That's my trade. That's what I know how to do. They said, God, if we're going to do anything more, we need God's help to do this. What do we want to pray? Send somebody else, right? You go, send somebody else to go talk to those people. I don't want anything to do with that. Or some people just quit. You know what? I'm done. I just got persecuted for my faith. I'm done. I, those people can go wherever they're going to go. But that's not what the disciples did. They said, hey, let's be proactive. Let's be aggressive. Let's get God's leading in our lives to say what he wants us to say. And I, I admit, it's a scary thing to pray for. God, give me boldness to go back out there. I want to face the lions again. I don't think so. But that's what I need to do. And I think if we pray like that, God's going to be eager and excited to answer those prayers. Because those prayers aren't about us. Those prayers about God working through us to reach the people with the gospel who need it. And if you prayed like this, if you pray for boldness and knowledge and courage and help, you know what you have to look forward to? You know, some people have real persecution to look forward to. You know, the disciples in Acts chapter 40, we're going to find in a couple weeks that they did not shut up. They kept speaking in the name of Jesus. They kept working on behalf of Jesus and they were flogged. They were whipped. They were beat and they, before, they, before they got let go. Okay, we gave you guys a warning. Now we're going to beat you. And in the future, we find out that they ultimately died for their faith. So if you're going to be bold in sharing out your faith, you're going to face probably some kind of persecution for it. But we know some people, are, and hopefully you, maybe you'll experience both, are going to experience real results. 
In Acts chapter 4, we find that uh, the disciples were just, Peter and John were just first put into prison. It says they were seized and put in prison because it was evening until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that their number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. You know, Peter preached the the best sermon ever preached. It was 3,000 people getting saved. Now it's grown to 5,000 people. And it was part of it, it was as a result of what they're going through. They're, they're not being timid. They're being bold. They're sharing the faith. They're asking God to work. And they got to experience real results. That's pretty exciting. It's a pretty incredible thing that they got to do. And if we prayed, we're going to and go, we're going to experience persecution. Hopefully we're going to experience the real results. But if we pray, we're going to probably get out there and witness more. If I ask God to help me to know what to say and how to say it, chances are I'm actually going to go and do it. Right? I'm not going to go on my own strength. I'm going to be relying on God and saying, hey, you've got to help me if I'm going to do this. And then when the opportunity comes, I'm more likely to take it. You know, sometimes we don't experience the, the salvation of friends or the boldness because we don't ask. In uh, James chapter 4, too, is, it talks about sometimes we don't have because we don't ask God. And when we pray, we ask for the wrong things. We ask for the kinds of things that's going to make my life easy, that's going to make me healthy, that's going to bless me. But God's eager and excited to answer those prayers and say, hey, I want to get out there into the world. I want to be bold. I want to have the words to say to share my faith. So the disciples, they praised God together because they knew ultimately whatever happened, God was in control. And then they prayed to God and asked for boldness. They asked for wisdom. They asked for God to work through them. And then number three, we find out that God blessed the prayers that they, they prayed. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God uh, boldly. So first thing is God proved he was right there in their midst. The, the building started shaking. They, they just knew that this was the Holy Spirit that was among them. God was saying, hey, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm all in on this with you. I'm, I'm going, I'm answering this prayer. I, I like what you're doing and I want to use you to do something more. And then it says that they, they boldly and they, they were courageous and they in speaking the truth. They went out and started talking to the people about what God wanted them to say. So they had this physical sign. Yes, guys, I'm with you. But then they also turned around and they were bold and sharing their faith because God answered the prayers that they were praying. They didn't immediately possibly go right back into the lion's den, but they went somewhere. They started sharing God's word with the people. And God wants to bless and answer the prayers that we prayed as well. Now, I have to admit, I've never been in a church service or a prayer meeting where all of a sudden the building started shaking. Right. I've no I've, I've, I haven't even heard a faint whistle of wind or felt any sort of breeze when I was praying. OK, so God, for whatever reason, decided to tell his disciples, hey, I'm with you in this at that point in that way. So I, I don't know how, um, I, can't, I can't say exactly God's going to do that for you, because I've never experienced that for me as well. But I have experienced peace. When I have worried, 
God has brought me immediate peace. I mean, if I just keep giving it to God, ultimately I get to the point of having peace. God is answering that prayer that I'm praying at the moment that I need it. There's times where I prayed and said, God, I really don't get this. There's a lot in scripture where I really don't understand. We're trying to make decisions about our kids. I don't know what to do. And I feel like God gives me the answer to try to understand it, to try to explain it, to try to help our kids see what we're trying to do. But the moment that I'm praying, I feel like God God is answering me. God has used me to speak to people that I was scared to death to talk to. I mean, I get up here and I could be bold as a lion and say kind of whatever. For some reason, I feel comfortable doing this. But you get out on the street with other people who don't want to hear the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear the truth. It gets scary out there. But God has helped me to talk to family members about Jesus. They didn't get saved, uh, but God said, you know, like I told you my personal evangelism class, you know, I went and talked to my grandpa or my uncle, people who were Catholic, who, who didn't practice Catholicism, had nothing to do with anything, and I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. And that was very, very scary for me. But God has helped me because I have prayed. So I just want to close with three questions. They're, they're, I'm sorry, they're a little out of order. Uh, the first question is number two. Do I really want God to use me? I want you to ask this of yourself. Do I really want God to use me uh, in the life of my, my town, in the life of my family, in the life of my job, in the life of my basketball team or my track team or my club, whatever it is that I'm part of? Do I really want God to use me? Because if you do, uh, I mean, that, that's a scary thing. Because what is God going to ask you to do? Is he going to make you go sit by somebody on the other team and start talking to them about Jesus? Is he going to make you go talk to your boss who, who likes you all right now? But if you start introducing Jesus, he says, I, I'm going to want nothing really to do with you. What is God going to ask you to do? You don't know. So it's tough to say, yes, God, please really use me. But you've got to answer that question. Do I really want God to use me? And number one, am I willing to pray about it? Am I willing to pray as, with other people and ask God to use me? Because that that's in itself is a sacrifice. That takes time. I mean, praying as a church, praying with your family, praying with uh, by yourself and just asking God to use you. The disciples did. They didn't, ask, they didn't ask for freedom. They didn't ask that God would make their problems go away. They asked for boldness. Are you willing to take the time to pray, especially with other people? Or are you just content sitting back and letting other people pray? Are you content to hear what the missionaries did? Are you content to hear what somebody else in church did? Um, and say, you know what, that's good. I, I like those stories, but I really don't want to be a part of that. That's really uncomfortable. I don't know what God's going to ask me to do. I, I hope that you can answer, yes, I really want God to use me. I hope you can say, okay, God, I'm going to pray, and I'm willing to pray with other people. They say, God, please help me to be bold. Because on your own, I mean, some people are really bold on their own. I think of Noah. I, my son Noah, just on his own, he's just got his bold character. He'll do, uh, there, there's times where we put him to the test of like, hey, you go and you talk to that person about whatever. I'm not doing it. And Noah's just got this bold character where I don't have that. So most people I don't think have this kind of boldness. 
I need it. If I'm going to be bold, I'm not going to do it on my own. I need God to go before me. And I hope you can say, okay, God, I'm willing to pray about this. And I hope you're not number three that says, you know what? You, you guys go ahead and pray. You guys see what God will do through you, but I'm not going to be that person. Because really, you only have two options here. Yes, God, I'm going to pray and ask you to use me. Or no, thank you, God, use somebody else. You know, corporate prayer in the church was one of the five practices of the early church. And I don't think it was something that people really considered not doing. It was just something that they went together daily to pray. Uh, they had busy lives. They had kids. They had fields that they had to work through. They had jobs, right? But they said, we want God to work. And we know that on our own, we can't do anything. We want God to work through us. They didn't do this out of legalism, like, boy, every day we got to go to this temple and we got to pray. They did it out of necessity because they knew they couldn't do it on their own. So I just want to challenge you. Get together as a church. Get together as a Sunday school class. Get together as a family. Even if it's just two of you, get together and pray. And pray and ask that God would work through you to give you the boldness and the courage that he wants you to say to reach other people. I want you to encourage you to pray and pray like the disciples did. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you, you know what we are, fallible, sinful people, that on our own we cannot do anything. So you give us hints through scripture to say, hey, get together and pray about this. God, I know that praying takes time, and I know it, we struggle with it, God, because you don't talk to us like we talk to you, uh, as audibly as you do. But God, I know that you still love us, and you still care, and you still answer. God, I know we all have situations in our life where we could use a little bit more boldness, where we could have a little more tenacity, a little more courage to say the right thing at the right time. And I just pray for, for each of us to have that. God, I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged to get together and pray and to see what you can do through us. God, I thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness and, and for our lack of ability, God, that you are still loving us and still working through us. Please let us be a praying church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.